let's pray. Father, you are truly awesome God. And we just rejoice in the fact that you're a God who is not against us but for us. And you want us to know you personally, intimately. You want every person in Australia to know you personally, intimately through Jesus Christ. For that's the only way we can get to come to you, Father. And I just pray that today as we talk more about how to pray in terms of that pattern of prayer that Jesus gave us in the Lord's Disciples' Prayer, that you will encourage us, inspire us and move amongst us and we will experience a sense of your Spirit quickening in us a new thirst and hunger to pray in a way maybe we've never prayed before. Father, come to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting, isn't it? You might um, be surprised to learn that... um, The disciples of Jesus never asked Jesus how to preach. And they never asked Jesus to give them the five steps of uh, effective church growth. And they never asked either about personal evangelism. The one thing they did ask of was to teach them to pray. Why? Because they had observed Jesus and the way he prayed. And the way he prayed clearly had something about it in his relationship with Yahweh, God, that no one else had. And it was inspiring and challenging and somewhat daunting. And so they said to him, teach us to pray, in a sense, like you pray. And so it is that having observed Jesus, they asked the question, and in our readings we go, this then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, is the beginning. Now, I came across this and I thought, this is it really, really sets it up. There was a young child ran through her family home looking in each room until he found what she was looking for and that was her dad. Finding him, she ran to him, clambered up onto his knees, threw his, her arms around his neck and said, oh, daddy, I love you. Her father's arms went around her, of course. Tears of joy filling the eyes and running down his cheeks. It's a beautiful moment in which a father and his child share in the perfect harmony of love and trust. Not everyone experiences that in their relationship with their father on planet earth. But Jesus says the way to approach our father in heaven is the way that little child ran to her dad with love, knowing he loved her. That's the focus that we took up last week and will continue through this week and next Sunday, okay? The Lord's Disciples' Prayer. Why did Jesus want us to pray this way? God is relational. He desires and he longs for intimate relationships with those who are made in his image. He's not a remote, impersonal force, not like may the force be with you or something. He's not an ogre who loves to terrify us with cruel acts. While he is all-powerful, the creator and ruler of all things, he wants us to come to him as a child comes to a father who is full of love for his children. And Jesus knew the reality of that kind of relationship with God. He wants us to know it also. See, friends, this is where Christianity is different from every other religion. 
This is where Christianity is different from Islam. Jesus knew God as his dad, his papa, if you like. He gave his disciples, that's all of us who trust him as our Saviour and Lord, the right, the authority, the relationship through the salvation that we get through him to come to God and to actually call him Papa, Dad. Now, we're fine, I'm having a conversation about that. He says, I can't go there. That's too familiar. That's the challenge. We want somehow Father, or if the Greek, Pater, we want to keep God at arm's distance somewhere, not really quite get so close that maybe everything's going to get changed. You know, the, I mean, it's really an intimate thing to pray like this. And it's scary to put ourselves in God's embrace and to expect things to happen that will be positive and good. I'm telling you, friends, it's vitally important for us to really come to God with that kind of understanding that he wants us to be closely, intimately connected to him, to know him, if you like, as our real dad. Not like the dads on planet Earth. His love goes way beyond anything we can imagine like that, okay? It's not a matter of protocol. That's what I'm trying to say to you, friends. It's establishing our relationship to God, which is one of childlike trust and devotion, totally based on our Father in Heaven's love for us. In the deepest sense, the Lord's disciples' prayer is a love prayer. Every word actually is selfless. As such, it gives us a strong sense of security along with awesome responsibility. Jesus, God's Son, aim and purpose for His life, His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection life, if you like, is to glorify God's name. You just read it. In fact, as I've really come to see that, even in the Old Testament, how often do you read, you know, I will not do anything other than to bring glory to my name. Words from God. You know? I'm not going to set aside things so that my name does not get glory. Jesus constantly wanted to bring glory to his Father in heaven as the expression of who he is. As Jesus' disciples, God's children, that's to be our aim also. That's why having identified our relationship with Almighty God the first words that come are, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, friends, before we think of ourselves and our needs and the needs of others, we have to start with this great concern about God, our Father, and His honour and His glory and His purposes first because that sets everything else in place. To be concerned with God's glory is to be concerned about his name, his rule, his will, above everything else. Now let's think about that. Hallowed be his name. Hallowed is not a common word these days, is it? It means to sanctify, to revere, to set apart as holy, to praise, to adore. It recognises God is a holy God, totally other, nothing like our images. Okay, It recognises he is not to be trifled with. In other words, to say these words is to say, may your name be sanctified 
expressing an intense desire, actually, that God's name be recognised, set apart, adored by men and women throughout the entire world. That's what we're looking for when we see this, say these words. Now, if you thought about God's name, who he is, it's God's name actually tells you who he is. It reveals his character. Have you ever done a study on the names of God? It's interesting. God's names. Yahweh. Now, if in the Hebrew it's got a guttural thing which I can't quite get right. My, one of my brothers in the, in the Lord, fellow pastor who really studied Hebrew and mastered it, would always say, it's not just Yahweh, it's Yahweh somehow, and I can't get it, so I don't try, okay? Yahweh, I am who I am. That's how he revealed himself, remember, to, to Moses. I am who I am, meaning I am who I am, I am who I will be, I will be who I am, however way you want to go that, I am. And that's in Exodus 3.14. You have Yahweh Shammah, the overflowing, ever-present one. You get that in Ezekiel at chapter um, 48 verses 35 Yahweh Rahai God is my shepherd Psalm 23 1 Yahweh Jireh God is my provider Genesis 22 14 Yahweh Rahai God is my healer Exodus 15 28 Yahweh Sidkanu God is my righteousness and there's even one for Scottish people Yahweh Makadesh God is my sanctification Yahweh Shalom, God is my peace, Judges 6.24. Yahweh Nissi, God is my banner, Exodus 17.15. El Shaddai, God Almighty, is my supply, Genesis 17.1. Elohim, God is mighty in power and glory, the sovereign Lord of creation, which is Genesis 1.1. One, one. Okay? You know what I'm saying, friends? The names of God are a tremendous source of praise and worship of Him. If you start make this study, and that's why you've got it on your outline, you can go and you can start to praise God that He is your healer, He is your provider, He is your righteousness, He is your sanctification. He, right? He's the banner over you, and that banner over you is love. Remember that song we used to sing? All of that. See, God's names speak of His character, His nature, His power. And in our prayer, our cry is that he will display his character so that people will exalt his name over every other name. The words involve us, for it's our task to honour the name of our Father, God, in our daily living. It calls for a lifestyle of worship that goes, gives worth to God and his name, not just on Sunday morning, but all the time, wherever we are, giving value to God, worth to God by how we live and express ourselves and people become aware that you're different not like the other people that they brush shoulders with wherever they are the opposite of all of that is to profane the name of God when we profane God's name we pollute his name by making it less than it is so when you trivialise God or his name that becomes a pollution of him it's actually a profaning of his name. It's to treat his name, if you like, as foreign to us. In fact, his name is holy. To defile a holy thing by bringing it in contact with uncleanness. So that when we sin, actually, as Christians, we make that which God has made holy, that's our bodies, temples of the Holy Spirit, unclean. That's a profanation. I don't know if that's English. That's a profaning of God's name. When our behaviour, our values and focus as a church 
are not in according with God's will and purposes, we're actually profaning his name. That's really scary when you think about that. Continue to profane his name, of course, and you'll experience holy judgment. Scripture teaches that very clearly. Then we come to the other name that's important for us. Jesus' name, Yahshua, God saves. In the Greek, Jesus. However you want to say it, it's about God saves. And that is the name above all names, Hebrews 1.4. In fact, by no other name can a person be saved. You need to understand that very clearly. There is salvation in no one else but Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, when you really think about it, a lot of people say there's many ways to God. No, there's not. There's one way to God, and that's the way God has shown us, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because, let me share this scripture with you. I read it this morning in my devotions. I thought, I'm going to share this with everybody because it's so good. Okay, Colossians 1, verse 15. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, who do you look at? Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You can't get it clearer than that, friends. He is God's provision for our salvation. Yahushua, God saves. Jesus is the one who, by using his name actually, gives us access to God. He said, I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Think about that. Heaven moves through the name of Jesus. It's the name of power and authority. It's the name which destroys the works of Satan. Jesus is our mediator. He's our intercessor. And before the throne of heaven, he now is interceding for us. So to hallow God's name is to affirm this to ourselves and to those around us by really giving the Lordship of Jesus, Yahshua, absolute first place in everything we do. Our authority rests in Jesus' name and what he's done. Miracles, signs, wonders are called into being by invoking the name of Jesus in faith. Just read it, Acts 3, 6, 16, 18, Mark 16, 16, okay? In other words, we are to do everything in the power and the strength of his mighty name, Colossians 3, 17. But, now listen carefully, praying in Jesus' name is not a mechanical password guaranteeing automatic acceptance of our prayers, which I think we've begun to fall into that kind of pattern that we just say that at the end of whatever we prayed and we think that's made it right and proper. Instead, to pray in Jesus' name is to come from a deeply felt sense of our own unworthiness and Jesus' absolute worthiness. You see, God will answer a prayer for Jesus' sake when he will not answer a prayer for our sake. Our attitude, our motive, 
is the issue in praying in Jesus' name. It is actually to be praying with the same thinking, thought patterns, purposes, will of the Lord Jesus Christ. That changes everything now, if you think like that. You see, to pray in Jesus' name, that is to pray in the authority of his name, involves total trust and confidence in Jesus to perform exactly as he has promised in his word. And the next set of phrases focuses our priorities as disciples of Jesus, as children of God. Having set that and the name and how we to pray and in what way in terms of the names and, and Jesus' name, we come to your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, God. That acknowledges God reigns over both nature and history. The creation may be in rebellion, but he is still his creation. Jesus proclaimed a special inbreaking of the kingdom of God, God's reign and rule, with all the blessings of salvation and the demands of submission that God's rule implies. To say these words is to pray that the reign of God will increase as people submit to Jesus through our witness to him as Lord. It is literally a command. Come, kingdom of God, now on earth. Oh, would that it did really come when we say that sometimes in a way that we have never experienced before. Jesus proclaimed and demonstrated the reign of God. We're to continue his proclamation and demonstration so that people's faith will be in God, not in man. You see, to pray for this is to pray for the transformation to take place in our lives, in our community. For it's about God's kingdom reign coming his rule being expressed but if you really want God's kingdom to come you have to submit to it that's where the tricky bit gets on earth now you see friends we have to remind ourselves and these words tell us this actually of the reality of the Bible's teaching about evil there is another who is the God of this world and his kingdom is one of darkness and evil totally opposed to God and his glory and honour. Now I'm going to say something now which a lot of people will say that's absolutely extreme and ridiculous. In actual fact friends there are only two people groups on planet earth because there's only two kingdoms really on planet earth. There's a lot of sub kingdoms but there's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God in which Jesus' disciples, Christians are in and the other kingdom. And nearly every other kingdom in human form is actually an expression of that kingdom, not God's. That's why the world is like it is. That's why people are like they are. That's why everyone, everyone who is not in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, is totally, utterly dependent upon people like you and I who are in the kingdom of God to be such a witness of light and love to them that they will enter into that kingdom with faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Now I've raised the bar. <laughs> That's where it is, friends. That's the reality. The kingdom, you see, is in every believer who's received the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us that. The kingdom of God isn't meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans fourteen seventeen. Okay? See, we are to invoke the kingdom reign of God over and against Satan's realm of darkness everywhere we go. 
the reign and rule of God was manifest in the works of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. Luke 11.20 tells us that. God's reign continues to be revealed through the works of the Spirit in us now. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're praying for the Spirit of God to come to manifest His presence however He chooses to establish Jesus' Lordship in our lives and over those people around us. What I'm saying, friends, is that Spirit poured out at Pentecost was the beginning of the fulfilment of this prayer. And that prayer is constantly to be made by us that He will continue to come and continue to empower us, continue to move in us so that the kingdom reign of God becomes such a visible reality through us that it will challenge the world out there. They'll react often badly. That's why Christians get persecuted. It means, in other words, friends, accepting your kingdom righteousness by doing what is right before God. He's put his kingdom within you and I and therefore we are to let that kingdom work itself out in the world through our lives, our hands, our feet, our thinking and our words. Otherwise, you're not light in the darkness. You've put your candle under the cover, which is not what we're supposed to do. We are to live in God's kingdom authority through faithful obedience of Jesus' commands. We do it by exercising the authority that Jesus has given us at work, at home, in every sphere of life. It affects the way we're to give financially it is, as well as how we pray. When we pray your kingdom come, we're actually praying for the success of the gospel in all its sway and power for the conversion of men and women for victory over evil in all its forms. And then you come to your will be done, Lord. Again, it's literally be done, will of God in me, in us, in the world. When we pray, you see, we're to humble ourselves by a declaration of absolute submission to the purposes of God. The will of God is good and acceptable and perfect, Romans 12, 2. For it's the will of our Father in heaven who in his infinite knowledge, love and power, okay, has deigned that he will take human beings like you and I to establish his kingdom in the world. And he doesn't have another plan because it's all wrapped up in his son, Jesus the Christ, who is our Lord, our Saviour, our Redeemer, the one who establishes everything for us in our relationship with God. Your will be done. Friends, a lot of Christians say, I don't know always what the will of God is. I I know what the will of God is. It tells me in the Scripture. The will of God is that I will uh, do what He tells me to do. The will of God is actually to be totally filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says to be drunk in the Spirit, if you like. I've I've actually seen that. This is an aside. We we went over to Toronto. There was a thing called the Toronto Blessing and and we actually went over to see what it was about. And uh, when we came back to the hotel from the meeting, and we got into the lift. There were three businessmen in their suits with a glass of wine in their hand. Clearly they had plenty. And they're standing like this. And three women crawled into the lift from the meeting that we'd been at to. And these businessmen go, well, you had a good time tonight, didn't you? <laughs> and they thought they were drunk. Just like in Pentecost, some people thought the disciples were drunk. That's interesting, isn't it? 
Because we go, oh, no, no. The Spirit of God will do what He wants to do and have it works. And we should be open for whatever God wants to do in the Spirit. And let me tell you, John Wimber, I think it was said, God will offend our minds to check our hearts. I think that's how it works often. Now, you're talk, looking at a person whose logic is the brain. My best subjects at school were mathematics, trigonometry, geometry, solid geometry. What does that tell you? For me to have those kind of things and these experiences goes right outside of my logic box. But that's how God works. And he wants to be in the midst of us, in his power, in his reign, and his rule, for his will to be done. For it's the will of our Father in heaven, who is infinite knowledge, love, and power, that we would do what he wants us to do. And I'm telling you, friends, it's stupid. It's total foolishness to ignore it, resist it, and reject it. Because it's the real wisdom we need to discern and to do. Jesus' followers want life on earth to be according to God's will in every way. Isn't that true? Now, third-year theological student rarely dines apparently at the Petroleum Club in Fort Worth, Texas. But one such student did get an invitation to dine there. I don't know who he knew. Seated opposite a very wealthy man, he reached for his fork after the blessing. As he did so, he looked at the rich man opposite and saw to his surprise that he was crying. This respected 60-year-old millionaire had tears dripping off his chin, staining his expensive silk tie. The student softly asked, What's wrong? Can I help? Several seconds elapsed as the man struggled to regain his composure. Taking a deep breath, he said, I was 19 years old when God called me to preach. And I said, no, I wanted my own way. So I refused to take my hands off my life. I do not have any peace. I have missed God's purpose for my life. Wow. Don't let that be your story, friends. Look to God and pray, Your will be done in my life always. I will say yes to you, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how strange it seems. God's will is being done in your life when you obey Him. It involves submitting your time, your work, your desires, to the Lordship of His Son, Jesus, Yahushua. Because submission to Jesus is the will of God. It begins with salvation and it goes on in a process of sanctification. That's the process we're in now if we've become Christians of our being transformed from our old nature into the likeness of Jesus. The root of so many problems in people's lives lies in the fact that that Jesus isn't really the Lord of their life. Um, my wife doesn't like this illustration. I think some people try to be Christian, like straddling a barbed wire fence. One leg is in the Christian camp, the other is in that, and they're walking like that, and I can tell you somewhere there's a dip in the ground and it won't be good. I'm sorry, but here I'm, I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? When you think about it, that's the craziest way to live, and people do it. And they wonder why life isn't as it's meant to be. 
we're, if we're sincere about praying for God's will to be done, we will go on to do what Jesus commands us to do, friends. We will pray and look for the Holy Spirit to come on us again and again and again. We will desire the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. We'll be wanting to move in all the fruit of the Spirit. We'll be witnesses to the fact that the only way a person can get to heaven is through a personal faith in Jesus Christ. We will declare Jesus is Lord in all circumstances and we'll pay the price of that in the world's view but in heaven our reward is great. In actual fact, friends, let's be serious. I think sometimes we focus too much on this world and we take our eyes off our destiny as Christians and that which is to come. I mean, just think of that. When we die, because we believe in Jesus, it's like we go through a portal and we move from this temporal life into a life in the presence of our Father in heaven where no tear, no anger, no pain ever exists. Everything in our Father's presence with nothing alienating us from Him. I've got goosebumps right now thinking about that. That is truly awesome, friends. We need to focus that a bit more often in the face of the stuff this world goes on with. You see, friends, as we close, these phrases of the Lord's Prayer are really a plea for the revelation of God's kingdom reign to come in all its fullness. They're the words of those people whose sole ambition is the hour in which God's name will be glorified by the coming of his kingdom in all its perfection so that all who now profane his name will now know he is God. Friends, you need to walk the streets of Wangaratta. And as you walk around the areas or as you drive from wherever you live, you need to pray at looking at every household and pray for God's kingdom reign to come to those houses, to the lives of the people in those houses. Okay? You know the good way to do it? God's actually, in his world, has provided you with a tool. You notice how many people walk around like this? Well, you can walk around saying, God, I just lift this house to you right now and I pray that whatever's going on in that house, and they just think you've got a hotline to God. You can do it in shopping centres. I'm serious, friends. We need to seriously be praying over our community. Now, I've said it our. I mean, it's my temporary community every now and then, but, but it's your community. You know, where I am, need to pray that. Need to pray it down the streets. When we go for a walk, doing our exercise, pray, do. Invoking the kingdom, because God answers prayer. Revivals come through prayer. Never come any other way, actually. Few people committed to giving God the time and their heart and their passion. Okay? To pray these words is to recognize we live in a world that is full of evil and suffering, a world in which the followers of Jesus can all too easily be buffeted by persecution and rejection. The prayer is a cry for the revelation of God's glory now with all its consequences. It's a cry for the coming of the day of judgment, for the return of Christ in glory and triumph over all its evil friends. For it's the cry of those who have absolute trust in the faithfulness of their Father, who rest in the salvation He's given them in Jesus. So there's no fear of His coming, only joyful anticipation of His mighty kingdom to come. It's a powerful affirmation 
that the church is to be the people who proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God on earth now. You won't ever pray this prayer again like that. (laughs) See how we throw it away by just mouthing it off? That's not how Jesus intended. It's a pattern that lays a basis for some serious praying, spiritual warfare, if you like. Let's pray. Oh, God, awesome God, holy, righteous, totally other than we can imagine, really, other than that which we see in your Son, Yeshua, Jesus. Oh, God, thank you for the Word become flesh. Thank you for the Word that brings life where there is no life. Thank you for the Word incarnate, the Word crucified, the Word risen, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Father, this day right now, I pray, I surrender myself in you. I lift this people to you, Father, and I pray that you will look upon them kindly and you that you would pour your Holy Spirit out upon us again and again and again, that your name would be glorified, that your will would be done, that your purposes would be fulfilled in this church and in this community to the glory of your name in Jesus Christ.